My name is Stephen Estock. I am coordinator for the Committee on Discipleship. It is wonderful to be here, and it's so great to see so many people here. Uh, I thank you for taking out Friday night and Saturday and just to come talk together. Now, my guess is, if you're like most PCA churches, one of the questions I get whenever I go places and I say, Hi, I'm Stephen Estock, and they, well, are you a pastor? Yes, I'm a pastor. Well, what's your church? I don't have a church. My church is the whole denomination, PCA. Now, I, am, I went to Covenant Seminary in 95 after I got out of the Air Force, and I was, went to, my first call was in Montgomery, Alabama, where I did Sunday school. I did just, it was sort of a general assistant associate. And then I went to Kirk of the Hills, and I was, worked under Wilson Benton. Some of y'all I call Wilson part of the Mississippi Mafia. And so uh, my guess is many of you know Wilson. So Wilson was one of my mentors. I was his senior associate, and I did adult ministries, and then I did Christian education. And then partly through Wilson's urging, I decided to put my name in the hat back in 2012 to become coordinator for the Committee on Well, at that time, as a Committee on Christian Education and Publications, but now it is Committee on Discipleship Ministry, CDM. We brought two people here tonight. So our team, uh, I'm the coordinator of CDM, and then we have Katie Flores right here. Katie Flores, go ahead and stand up. And everybody clap for Katie Flores. Katie Flores is our children's ministry coordinator. And then we have Laura Tucker. Laura, stand up. Everybody clap for Laura. Laura is part on our children's ministry team, and I'll tell you a little bit about that in just a minute. Uh, when I go around the denomination, people say, well, what is CDM? Well, as I said, our old name was Christian Education and Publications, but... Back in, oh, it goes all the way back to 2006, a lot of people were saying, we need to change the name because Christian education and publications, they think of Christian schools and magazines and curriculum and all that, and that's part of what we do. But discipleship is such a, so much bigger in the life of the local church. And so in 2014, we changed, the, or General Assembly changed our name to the Committee on Discipleship Ministries. Now, what do we do? Well, our mission, we're one of the five committees of the General Assembly. Uh, I'm sure you're aware of the other General Assembly committees. MTW helps you in the local church do discipleship internationally. MA helps you do discipleship through church planning, church revitalization, mercy ministry, disaster relief. RUF helps you as a local church do campus ministry. Well, what CDM does is we help you in the local church as you're making disciples in the congregation. Well, how do you do that? Well, you do it through ministry to children, youth, men, women, older adults, leadership training. And so we're the committee of the General Assembly that comes alongside you to do that. So we strengthen the church, the local church, to make disciples. How do we do that? Well. You know your context better than we ever could in Atlanta or Birmingham. But we're more familiar with what other churches in the denomination are doing. And so we try to bring those things together. For example, today I met with a pastor at Briarwood, and we're talking about older adult ministries. I just found out Clint's going to do some older adult ministries, so we need to talk more about that. Because 
there are so many things that churches are doing that need to be shared with other PCA churches, and that's part of the beauty of being in a denomination. And so CDM is the committee that we try to help you do that. Now, how do we do it? Well, we do it through team ministry. And so we have our five areas right there. Laura is right here on our children's ministry team of 10 people. So these teams are made up of people who are serving in local churches, doing the ministry day in and day out. They come in and help us. And we have people scattered all around the nation and all around the denomination to come help us do whatever area it is. Eden Florin, I found out tonight, she's heavily advised by her husband, Gray, on women's ministry. She is part of our women's ministry team of 16. She is a regional advisor. And so what that means, for those of you who don't know, is we will have people call our office and say, Hi, I'm in what Presbyterian? You got Mississippi Valley? All right. All right. We're in Covenant Presbytery. Let's go Mississippi Valley, right down there, down the road a little bit. So someone in Mississippi Valley says, you know, we're trying, we're having trouble with our women's ministry. We need somebody to help us with women's ministry. And so we have them call Eden. And if Eden can't answer the question, she's got the team of 16 or Karen Hodge to help her tap into what else is going on in the domination. So I say that to say thank you for sharing her with us and the denomination because that's how we're trying to do ministry to strengthen the local churches in making disciples. As you think about discipleship ministry, there's so many different avenues. Uh, it's good to have Les here. I trust Les that you're one of the main ones doing this preaching business, right? You got anybody else? <laughs> well, yeah, he tries, and we're, we're happy to try. No, I've seen Les preach. He's preached at the General Assembly. I've never preached at General Assembly. That was very good. Were you nervous? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. All right, so there, and when I go to PCA churches, a lot of times they think, well, either they think preaching is the only real discipleship. I run into some churches like that. Usually that's the preacher that's telling me that. Or they think preaching is sort of off on its own. And I put to you that preaching is just one of the avenues. It's the avenue that has the broadest reach, but the least relationship. And discipleship, as presented in the Word of God, is a mixture of God's Word which is the means of grace by which we are converted and grown up in the faith and relationships. And so as you develop relationships, as you, as you exercise that relational connection, that's how you can take the Word of God and apply it in a very precise way where the Holy Spirit changes it. And so you look at these different avenues that I've seen in PCA churches of types of discipleship ministry. And as you look through, you could see there are different levels of relationship and word. Or sometimes you, people think of teaching, but hopefully good teaching in the church is centered on the Word of God. Now, do you have a Sunday school program here? Adults? 
All right. Tell me a little bit about your Sunday school. Is Well, maybe I <laughs> think about your Sunday school. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. Some PCA churches, it's heavy lecture. High on word, not much on relationship. But when you go to small groups, it's higher on relationship, sometimes lower on the word. Now, do you have small groups, community groups? What's your model? What do you use? Do you use a book study? Do you use Bible study? Do you repeat this or uh, discuss the sermon? Discuss the sermon? That's what a lot of people in the PCA do. I would say that's the most common model of small groups, and here's the reason why. Because preaching has heavy word, little relationship, you take the same word, the same content, and bring it into a more relational time where you can discuss it. It leverages the power of that broader presentation of the word, bringing the relationship using trained leaders to sort of to apply the word more precisely, which again is another type of discipleship ministry. So that's Here's my question for you. What's your avenue? You're here tonight. What's your avenue? How many of you are here as a small group leader? Raise your hand. We've got a couple. All right. All right. Um, a teacher in a Sunday school or a Bible study or something like that. Okay. How about... Uh, well, Bible study teaches the same thing, Sunday school. All right, Sunday school for children. Okay, Sunday school for youth. Sunday school for adults. I've already talked a little bit about that. All right, how many of you here are parents wanting to just learn how to disciple their children? All right, now, depending upon how many children you have, if you've got one or two children, you're in this one-to-one, one-on-three. If you've got five or more children, you're a small group, all right? <laughs> that's, that's, what we're, that's how we're, so we're all talking the same language here. But what I want us to look at tonight is, what are you signing up for when you do discipleship? Well, whether it be parenting or children's ministry, it's not child care. It's, some people present it that way. I, one of my pet peeves, even though I was guilty of it when I was on a session, is where the session just sort of thinks about children as an afterthought and says, so, oh, we got to come up with something to take care of the kids. And their whole mentality is childcare. Uh, I was uh, chastised in a loving, gentle way when I became coordinator by Sue Jakes. Some of y'all may know Sue Jakes where she said, it is not, it is child discipleship. And when you recruit, you're not volunteering for the children's ministry. You are signing up to be a discipler of children. Because what you do in that time affects those children. And so it's not child care. Those of you, especially if you're in uh, adult education, it's not graduate-level teaching. I know you're here in, in the college city or college town, but it's not graduate-level teaching. I've run into teachers, and I, to be honest, I tend to lean this way because of my background, where 
Sunday school became me dispensing information that I was excited about and I wanted you to be as excited about it as I am. But it's not graduate level teaching because of the relationship you've got to help people understand the word. It's not entertaining. I met with somebody this morning and they were talking to me, hey, I really like this, like their pastor. And I said, well, tell me more about the pastor. What do you like about him? Well, he's really funny. <laughs> okay, that, there's nothing wrong with being funny, but tell me more. And it was part of that struggle, and eventually he got around to it. But the, the thing about it is we live in a culture where entertainment is so key. And entertainment can be good, or, or not, entertainment's not the right word, um, a winsomeness, uh, humor, uh, illustrations, those types of things can help you develop a relationship with those that you are, are working with to help provide the vehicle for the word. But it is not entertaining. Now, I don't know if Les struggles with this. I know when I struggle with preaching, I want people to like me. I, I hope that after this weekend's over, you, you think, well, Stephen, I stock wasn't bad. <laughs> but I hope you don't go away and say he's just an entertainer because that's, that would be a loss, even though I might be tempted to go that route. And all of us, when we're in discipleship, this can happen in parenting. I had a conversation with a, a parent two weeks ago, and they were struggling with that tension that you feel of when do I put my foot down and say, no, you are six years old. You do not have enough information about life to be able to run this show. But it's tough parenting, especially today, because you're, you're thinking, how do, I, how do I allow this child, how do I love this child, how do I bring this child up? But we're not entertaining. What are we doing? We're making disciples. Especially in our theology, we're covenant theologians. And so all those generations... They come in, they are members of the church by, by birth. We're raising them up, and sometimes God brings new people into at different ages, whether it be high school or college, or sometimes, again, I was talking with a man today about older adult ministries, and they had, he's talking to people who in their 60s are just coming to faith. But we're about... How do we present the gospel where they embrace Jesus Christ as their Savior and then grow up in Him? That's what we're about. Now we're going to do a little Bible study. This is, a very, this is the classic text on discipleship. Matthew 28, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.
teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Some of y'all may have studied this text before. Pastors, you cannot speak. But, or Greek scholars, you cannot speak. What's the verb in verse 19 and 20? What's the primary command? What's the command? Okay. We got to go. We got to make. He's sort of straddling over there. That's all right. That's go make. There's only one, there's only one imperative. That's the fancy word for command. That's one command in those two verses. What is it? Or what have you been taught it is? How many of you have gone to missions conferences? Now go ahead. You can raise your hand. Come on. If you've been to a missions conference, what do they say? Go, right? That's not, the, that's not it. That's not the command. The command is make disciples. All right? But, but, <laughs> there's a part, there are three participles. Going, baptizing, and teaching. And in the Greek, because of the relationship they have with the imperative, make disciples, that, that imperative in the participles, the participles have, you know, this is big words now, imperatival force, <laughs> which means that it is a command. So the main command is make disciples. But as you're making disciples, you can't sit in your chair. You have to go. And when you're baptizing, you say, wait a minute, we're not baptizing. You're right. The word there is trying to, you're inviting them into a relationship with a person, Jesus. That's what the baptizing is part. And then you're teaching all that I have commanded you. And keep in mind what Jesus said in the upper room when he says, if you love me, you will do what? If you love me, you will do what I command you. And so you go, you invite them into a relationship with Jesus, and then you're teaching them how to love Jesus who saved them in that relationship. And that's true no matter what age you're dealing with. That's true whether you are in a just a parenting situation. It's true if you're in a, in, in a children's Sunday school. It's true if you're in a youth Sunday school. You are going, you're taking the initiative relationally to bring them into a relationship with Jesus and then to grow them up in that relationship even as you are growing in that relationship. Why are we here? It's for making disciples. Why are we here tonight? I hope that with this text that the Lord burns on your heart, that everyone in this room, not just less when he stands up there on Sunday morning, or your Sunday school teacher, all of us are called to make disciples, to go invite people into a relationship and to teach them all that Jesus has commanded us. Now, what's your target when you do that? 
And this is something that, again, as I work, work with people, as I talk to people who do discipleship ministry, I've been guilty of this as well. What is your target? What do you want to achieve? Well, sometimes knowledge acquisition. I have content. I want to deliver it. I want you to grab onto it. Knowledge acquisition. Other people. And this is especially true if you're talking about, if you're in a, especially a children's ministry, children's Sunday school, you got a scope and sequence. Uh, or, or even adult ministry can do this. All right, I've got this. What do y'all have? A quarter system, eight weeks? What do y'all do, Melvin? Quarter? All right, so 13 weeks. I've got 13 weeks of classes. I'm going to cover this book. I'm going to do this, these lessons on this day. That's your scope. And in your sequence, how you're going to do it. Some teachers, some disciple makers say, I just got to get through it. And that's what success looks like, if I get through all the material. Sometimes you do that in a class. I've got this, I've got all my slides here. And it's going to be a victory if I get through all of my slides. Some teachers go that route. So you're trying to complete the scope and sequence. Other people with discipleship say, I want to help people avoid the mistakes I made. This is especially true if maybe you came to Christ later in life and you look back on your history and you say, gosh, I wish I'd done it differently. I don't, and it's out of love. I don't want this person to go through the pain that I had to endure. Some people, it's just, it's all about evangelism. I just want to lead people to Christ. Now, all of those are great, but I think they're what God presents in His Word, Romans 12, 2, by the mercy of God, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So there is a cognitive element to disciple making but the goal is not just to present the information the goal is to see transformation from darkness to light now I don't want to get into the debate but uh, some of y'all may does anybody listen to the world and everything in it? Some of y'all do. Um, okay, so Friday is Culture Friday. And so John Stone Street of Breakpoint, Chuck Colson's old ministry, today, I was listening to this on my drive over, they were talking about the Super Bowl ads, the He Gets Us campaign. And so uh, we're not going to vote on who likes the He Gets Us campaign and who doesn't like the He Gets Us campaign. But we're not going to get into that. I want to I remain peaceful and everybody love Jesus and love each other. All right. So, um, but there is debate and there's debate on the PCA social media, which hopefully not many of you are on. But, uh, but what it's talking about is some say, well, the He Gets Us campaign, it was triggering conversations and the, the main, uh, the ad that's sort of hurting people, maybe you saw it is where it was feet washing. 
different people washing the other person's feet. And so a lot of people, I actually heard, saw one PCA pastor, it was close to blasphemous. And, and then some of you may have seen the new, the came out, I think within a couple hours of the Super Bowl, that not he gets us, but he changes us, I think, or he saves us. And it was a guy in England who created, sort of used the same model. And I like how John Stone Street actually, he said, you really got to have both together. Yes, he gets us, but he not only meets us where we are, he transforms us to his image. And that's what we're talking about as we talk about making disciples. But here again, as you're thinking about what's my goal, we will tend to produce what we value. Now, this is a PCA church. Most PCA churches are at least middle class, mostly upper middle class. As I talk to people who are in discipleship ministry, many times they look at this this is sometimes parents. What do I want for my kids? Moral, successful, well-educated, well-rounded. Anybody object to that? Didn't think so. Or, for those of you who know him, I stole this from Brian Haybig. Which do you think is true discipleship? A lot of times in our culture, we love this. But if you do only this, you've got a really good Pharisee. Jim Alexander, the pastor I was talking to at Briarwood, he said for, most, for many of his years, that's, this is what he was. He said, I was moral. He said, I could quote Bible verses, probably quote you under the table. I was successful as a student. Dad was doing well. He was well-educated, although he questions that a little bit. He says, I'm not going to tell you where I went to school, but <laughs> well-rounded. But he said, then God changed him. Now, the thing about it is, if you aim over here, you're not necessarily giving up over here. But you are keeping this. This is your goal. And let God give this. So parents, what do you hope for your child? You know, I had breakfast with a man this morning. He was telling me about somebody that he works with. And um, this friend of his, his child is, went to Covenant College and has now walked away from the faith. And my friend, as we were talking, and sort of, well, what would you say to him? How do you work it? He said, one of the things that he... It bothered him about talking to his friend was the friend was more upset that his son 
was doing a janitorial job for just a little bit of money, enough to live on. But his friend kept saying, he could do so much more. And so my friend was saying his grief was that his friend wasn't grieving over the lack of a broken heart, a repentant heart. He was grieving over he's not meeting society's version of success. Parents, I ask you again, what's your target? Especially here in a PCA church. I urge you, focus here and let God bring this. If you focus here, this will be a work of God in the child's life. Nobody can be soft-hearted unless they're given a new heart. Nobody can be truly biblically trained and repentant unless the Holy Spirit is at work. And God will bring the other things. So, and then, not only do you do it with parents, teachers, what are you focused on as you're doing your small group, as you're doing your Sunday school class, as you're doing your Bible study? Are you just trying to get them well-educated? Are you trying to get them over here? Yeah, biblically trained, yes. But how do we grow in repentance? How do we grow in our transparency with one another in that relational connection where the Holy Spirit does amazing things? That's what we're called to do in making disciples. Some of you may have seen this chart or a similar chart. I call it the cross chart. It's based on some... Sonship, if you're familiar with that, Jack Miller stuff. But as we go along, the blue line is time. As we move along in time, our hope is that we will grow in our understanding of God, His holiness, His power, His righteousness. But we'll also grow in our understanding of ourselves our guilt, our inability, our frailty. But as we grow, and you grow farther, you see how wonderful God is and how poor we are. The only bridge is Jesus Christ. And so the cross grows bigger and bigger and bigger. Because you see how much God has done for you in Jesus Christ. And when your eyes are on Christ, you will grow in Christ-likeness. Because the Holy Spirit is going to be building in you the, the character of Christ. But not only that, you will have a heart that grows bigger and bigger. First a heart for God, but then also a heart for other people. And that's what Christ-centered sanctification is all about. Now I know less. I trust that he preaches this way. And I hope that as you are working in your own ministry, wherever it may be, your own discipleship venue, that you're keeping in mind these types of things. Now, how many of you are overwhelmed by this slide? <laughs> Katie Flores raised her hand. Uh, I showed her this, and she's like, 
I could tell by her face. She's like, really? You're going to do that? All right, this is... Uh, yeah, hang on with me. Hang on with me. So, uh, I'm actually... This is a slide I use. I teach uh, discipleship and leadership at RTS in Atlanta. And this is a slide. And I thought, these people are adults. I'm going to use this slide. What I want you to picture is... All of this over here is the mind of the person you're discipling, okay? This is based on David Sousa, How the Brain Learns. And this is based on research that comes from the 1980s up to the current amount of time, uh, up to, when did he write it? He wrote it in 2017. All right, so when you are teaching, this is sort of what happens in the person's mind based on brain science that they've had, all right? Now, your role is over here. Okay, but I'm going to walk you through this. So, here's the person. This is their sensory register. Eyes, ears, nose, mouth, all the, all the things that are, have our senses, that's our sensory register. You as a teacher present information. And you present it to touch on those five senses, right? In most cases, you're focusing on the hear because you're speaking. But some of you may use visuals, right? I'm using a PowerPoint tonight. That's trying to appeal to your vision. And then you might have, especially if you do something with kinesthetic or tactile learning, uh, some of you might be taking notes. I've seen some of you take notes. That's part of the, the touch, smell. I don't, I don't have anything. Hopefully you're not you know, smelling anything for me, but I don't know. Sometimes you might use that, but what's happening is all of that's coming. Now, how many of you hear the ice machine right now? How many of you heard the ice machine just a few minutes ago when I was talking? But the sound was there, right? Well, what happened was the sound came in there, but your sensory register said, that's not important for me. I'm going to disregard it. But there are other things that you went into your immediate memory, like a clipboard, it stays in your immediate memory about 30 seconds, according to the research. And then what happens with that, well, also your past experiences are telling you, well, the sound of the ice machine, that doesn't matter, but this other stuff, I'm going to pull it to this so I can begin to work on it, so I begin to see, do I understand this and do I see the relevance of this? Now, you as a disciple maker are trying to think, how can I present the information to get it through the sensory register to where they're dealing with it in, immediate, in the immediate memory? So, but you don't have a lot of control over what their past experiences are. You might know a little bit about it. Now, through your relationship... You might know, I know this person has something in their past experience so that when I present the information, I'm going to appeal to that past experience to get it in, further in. But the other thing is emotions. 
a person comes into the learning experience with emotions. They might be happy. They might be depressed. And that's going to affect all that they're processing. So you get it to immediate memory, and then some of it's forgotten. Some of it goes to the working memory. And the working memory is where you're going to bring stuff from your past, and then you're going to say, oh, I get this here, I understand, I see the relevance, I'm going to encode it to my mem long-term memory, which becomes, Sousa uses cognitive belief system, we could use in our circles the world and life view. It begins to shape who they are and how they judge other experiences. So what are you doing as a disciple maker? Whether you are a parent with your child or you're leading a small group, your target of what you're trying to do is help them with, I understand what you're saying and I see the relevance of what you're saying. In this time together, what I've tried to do is when I've referenced to think about you as a parent, my hope is that in your mind, you're picturing your child. What I'm trying to do with that is try to say, what I'm saying is relevant to you. And I'm hoping as I'm going through this with the pictures, trying to help you understand in the hope that God uses it to transform how you make disciples. Anybody got questions on this? A little less overwhelming? Are you okay, Katie? All right, Katie's all right, so I'm all right. How about you, Laura? You all right? All right, you're good. Yep. Now, Here's where you participate. We got 15 minutes, right? All right, so you're at your tables. Uh, Siri wants to talk. Yeah, Siri, you need to know sense or relevance. We'll work on it later. All right, so as you think about your discipleship venue, and this is where you get to be a little bit of transparent, whether it be parenting, whether it be small group, whether it be your Sunday school class, what lesser target? tempts you the most? Is it, I just want to dispense knowledge? I know as a parent, I was guilty of that. I just want you to know what you need to do. <laughs> uh, covering your lesson plan, uh, I'm guilty of that. Uh, shaping lives like you think they need to be shaped. <laughs> this is something that um, we are pro so prone to play Junior Holy Spirit, <clears throat> where um, we're going to change this person the way we think they need to be changed. If they're not, we're going to be frustrated. So that, but that's, that's not what we're called to do. We're called to provide the venue where the Holy Spirit changes hearts. Or lesser target is evangelism. Please don't go home and say, boy, that guy from CDM said evangelism is a lesser target. Evangelism is very important. <laughs> But your goal is not just to get the person to walk the aisle or pray a prayer. Your goal is to see the life transformed through the relationship that comes from proclaiming the gospel and them embracing the gospel. So what is the lesser target 
And then I want you to talk around your table. What does transformation look like here at this church, in this context, in the context in which you do discipleship ministry? What does it look like? I'll leave you to it.